0: My guest this week is fast establishing a reputation as a filmmaker of wit, originality and imaginative flair. In his short career as a writer-director, John Michael McDonough has brought us three features, all of which have been characterised by top narrative, black comedy and wit
1: dialogue.
0: First up was The Guard, starring Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle, which is officially the most financially successful Irish independent movie of all time then came Calvary a darkly humorous drama about a priest tormented by his community now he's crossed the Atlantic with war on everyone another twisted comedy in which Alexander Skarsgård and Michael Peña play a pair of tear-away New Mexico cops I'm Edith Bowman You're listening to Soundtracking, my weekly podcast in which I speak to cinema's most celebrated exponents about the relationship between sight and sound. John's heartfelt passion for music is reflected in the wide variety of artists he's used in his work, During the course of our conversation you'll hear tunes from the likes of The Clash, Fun Living Criminals, REM, MOP and John Denver amongst many, many others. We'll also discuss his collaborations on Score with Calexico, Patrick Cassidy and Lauren Balfe. But we begin with War on Everyone and a great American troubadour who features prominently in the story. John, welcome to Soundtracking. Can we start with the new film, War on on Everyone? There's a lot of music in it. There's a lot of great music in it. Yeah. At what point do you think about the music?
2: Well, specifically on this one, there's five uh, Glen Campbell tracks. Well done. And uh, (laughs) they're not used ironically. I do love Glen Campbell. And so does one of the two lead characters, Terry, who's played by Alexander Scaldiard. And it's all the classic Jimmy Webb ones. (laughs)
3: Oh, Galveston, I still hear your sea winds blowing. I still see her dark eyes glowing. She was 21 when I left Galveston.
2: So those were actually written into the script. So obviously, you know, once we got the financing, I had to get uh, Liz Gallagher, who was doing the music clearances. That all had to be sorted out before we even got close to shooting because we can't start shooting the film and we don't have the songs cleared, you know, so that was a really important part. So they were already written into the script. I've been walking the
3: The name of the game, and nice guys get washed away like the snow and the rain. There's been a
2: apart from that I would make notes so I'd put stuff on when I come home from the pub and I'll be thinking about the script and everything and usually it's something obscure that's occurred to me or it could be something that somebody's just recommended and, and I'll listen to it or write it down and usually it's just a mood thing because you're never sure with a song once you've cut a scene together you could have had an idea and go this would be great for that scene you put it on top of the scene it doesn't work at all yeah. you know and then something really strange will work <laughs> I mean, I always remember in than Corley, you know, Mr. Um, Lee Hazelwood, uh, Some Velvet Morning, yeah. where she's just walking around the supermarket, and I yeah. thought, wow, who would have thought of that? You know. So uh, I always try to look for those kinds of cues, something a, a little bit more oblique than you'd be used to.
3: Some velvet morning when I'm straight I'm gonna And maybe tell you about Phaedra And how she gave me life And how she made it in Some velvet mornin' when I'm strange.
0: There's a couple of things in particular with it with the film contradicting what's going on in the scene with the characters. So there's the clubbing scene with Alexander Skarsgård where he's getting wasted in the club. You'd assume he's in a club, it would be the equivalent of what's going on in the club, but the music almost kind of contradicts, which is a really yeah. clever way of messing with the senses of the audience in a That's subtle kind way. of a
2: more pragmatic thing in that I don't really like club music. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what can we put... So when he enters the club, there's club music, uh, which was done by the composer, actually, Lorne Balfe. Actually, once he saw the scene, there's a funny thing Alex does. He kind of raises his arm and starts going, oof, oof, oof. Uh, So Lorne kind of wrote the cue for that. (laughs) And then I thought, well, how can we, because I love that sequence. Yeah, it's brilliant. It took us a long time to shoot. It's basically just him getting drunk, but he's in fast motion and the background's in slow motion. It's kind of strange. I just didn't want club music there, so we put a really obscure, to me, R.E.M. song over it, Burning Hell, which I think is only on a B-side of a 12-inch.
0: R.E.M. Fan yeah, yeah, so I'm that. a
2: massive R.E.M. fan. I always, that, see, that's one of the things I always had down to use somewhere because it doesn't really sound like R.E.M. and I thought this would be really strange and that was a good example, we just plonked that on top of that scene and it worked, you know, so it was good. <laughs> Makes it sound like I'm really random. In... No, I, I imagine
0: <laughs> you have a list of artists and specific songs that you want to get into your
2: films at some point. Yeah, I mean, I have favourites that I've used a couple of times. I've used Jackson C. Frank of times. Catch a boat to England, baby, and
3: maybe to Spain, wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues are all the same.
2: But, yeah, I'll have lists. And I'll have lists that, I've, you know, I've never used the songs. That I, I did the list five years ago and it's still the song still doesn't work and yeah. I'll try to get it into the next one, <laughs> so do it that way.
0: Tick them off as you go along.
2: Yeah. I always know I'm going to have a melancholic type song in the movie at some point because that's the sort of the nature of the scripts I write. And Towns Van Zandt I've used a couple of times. Where
3: well, you can't hold me I'm too slippery I do no sleeping. I get lonely. Well, you can touch me if you want to. But I got poison. I just might bite you. The light circles on the sunlight shine like diamonds on a dark night. Ain't no mercy in my smiling. Only things then, sweet beguiling.
0: And then things like the way they use hip-hop for some of their chase scenes.
2: You know, hip-hop's overused a lot, but for Anti-Up, which opens the film, M.O.P., the opening line of that song is about a guy who was shot in New York. So the whole thing of Anti-Up is like, give me your money or something bad's gonna happen to you, which is these two cops that go around fitting up criminals unless they pay up money. So that was kind of a lyrical thing. I do like people like NWA. I mean, NWA, obviously there's certain classic songs we could have used in this film, but I just feel it's being overused in movies. Whenever you've got a slow scene, dunk a hip hop song on it, it'll play better, which it usually does, but it's just becoming overused.
0: There's another scene in the film that, of Chasing that you stop and you embrace what's going on in the live action. There's a mariachi band. Yeah. It's really clever.
2: Yeah, it was two things. It was one, that was a song I always loved, Bear Hug by Fun Loving Criminals. I always thought it was a really underrated band. They were great live, great live band. We got the crazy crew, you
1: think you're me, my proxy, they try to get foxy. They try to rock me. They say they got the 40 count clock with the 30 round clip and they Damn grip. Well, I came back from hell, so I'm goddamn fit. I'll bust your lip and make you strip. You can play them games, I'm going play them in my park. I feel a white
3: bill before you get out your town court. Man, that raving, blaming you on. i do the hit myself and then i eat a chicken bomb. Mag like bumpy, the business is booming. Chop your ass up
0: like I was Jimmy Cooning. The West Eagle money don't die.
2: So I got that in and then yeah in the middle of the sequence this was a totally random event I'd, when we were going to that location there was a mariachi band there welcoming guests What? Wow. yeah businessmen you know and you say you go, oh that's interesting and then because I've made a couple of films now you realise that you know you can change what you've written and you can if you can work it out in time if the yeah. production manager can sort it all out I said why don't <laughs> we just plonk the mariachi band in the middle of the shootout and they never react they're so professional they just keep playing and yeah, we worked it out, We, you the know, guy got, got in touch with the band leader and we got them in, so. So it was
0: the actual band that you saw that day? <coughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah.
2: See, I think if it had been my first film, I would have been a bit too shy or reserved to go, let's change this up. But now I'm on the third one. a good idea can come from anywhere, and if you can get it sorted out in time, it might work, it might not, but at least try it. it's just that thing of we're so used to shootouts in movies and they're always really predictable you know i thought this is unpredictable
0: (laughs) it's like comic respite in the middle of this yes kind of and then and then it cranks up again goes back into
2: bear hug again so i was getting all those ideas once i saw the band i thought we can do that with the music as well so it was all occurring to me at the same time
0: as well
2: that you have is it Noreen and, I can't remember what the lyrics oh, oh that one yeah that's a terrific one in yente. Oh, what a beautiful song yeah Catherine Spack that plays over a scene of Terry trying to find this kid which I, I was a bit worried was going to be one of those boring scenes in movies you know have you seen this kid blah 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 but the shots were so beautiful that Bob Bukowski, the DP, got. I thought, oh, this would be great. And if we can find a good song, it could work really beautifully. Non è
1: niente, non è niente, è soltanto questo amore fatto sabia. non è niente, non è niente.
2: from david holmes was working on the movie uh, really early days he eventually felt because there's a lot of very 70s infused visuals and sound and everything and he eventually felt he'd done it before so he kind of like he respectfully dropped out but before he did he recommended a load of songs to me and this one just really fit the bill yeah and it plays beautifully it's It's one of my favorite sequences in the film
0: then from david you used yeah lawn
2: Balf, and he was he was great was funny, he's very, if you gave him a general idea, he'd be like, I don't know what you mean. But if you give him a specific reference, then he would be perfect for it and he'd do it really quickly. So we had, you know, he got instantly all that kind of the 70s kind of cop show movie tropes and uh, cop show movie uh, music tropes. Um, So it worked really well. Yeah, it's great.
0: And then the end titles. You've gone with the Clash. Yes, I fought the love.
2: It's an obvious one. Alex wanted me to use the Sonny Curtis version. I went back and forth and I was thinking about it, but I thought, you know, it's such an iconic song. And I always think when a movie ends and they don't use the iconic version, they use a cover version, it, the audience always goes, ah, oh, they couldn't afford the iconic version. I didn't want the audience to feel like that. I think it's a satisfying sort of ending. so just before that a friend of mine sent me robert flack is obviously amazing but I'd never really heard her stuff before there's a song in the shootout Los Angelitos Negros Black Angels which is what our two cops are basically by the end <laughs> yeah. and, I, and it has the, the Mexican feel and I thought oh wow, that's perfect and that was, that's a left field thing I uh, was recommended to me to a guy I play football with <laughs> so you know uh, <laughs> I love how you,
0: all these musical cues come in from such different I
2: actually like the randomness of it uh, yeah. like, of suggestions by people as well because I have my certain you know I was an indie kid so I got Smith's so R.E.M. and all that. But I don't want to be one of those directors who just puts their favourite music into a movie. And I also don't want to be, you know, a type of director. You know when you see a movie and there's a character playing a really cool song, but you go, that's a really cool song, but that character would never play that. Yeah. You know, I hate that as well. So I'm always trying to look for left-field choices that other people might mention to me that I would never have thought of.
3: Doros. Doros.
0: I loved the music on Calvary as well. The score on that was just gorgeous. Yeah,
2: it's funny because I've never used the same composer twice. I always feel like the content of the script should dictate what the music is and who yeah. the composer is, rather than having your favourite composer and using them again and again. Calvary, there's humour in it, but it's quite, a some would say, bleak <laughs> film. I think it's quite beautiful at the end, but some people don't. And I knew I wanted what most people would think was a classic score. And again, the randomness of it. Uh, Patrick Cassidy. I just I'd heard him being interviewed on a on a radio program, and I thought, oh, he sounds <laughs> he sounds uh, quite articulate and intelligent. And then they played samples of his music, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh God, that's that's what I want. You know. So I just contacted him. You know, and it went from there. Like on The Guard, I'd I played a lot of Calexico, uh, Feast of Wire, I think, especially. I remember drunk one night listening to it, i think, oh, it'd be great if we could get Calexico. And then the next morning I thought, well, why don't you ask them? <laughs> they yeah. would only say no. Uh, one of the guys from the band, they were travelling around Europe and I said, you know, the lead character, Jerry Ball, in his own mind, he's the hero of a Sergio Leone Western. You know, that's what he thinks of himself. Yeah. And, and you know, Klexico just went, we can do Sergio Leone. <laughs> and that was it, they did <laughs> Sergio Leone, yeah. they did Morricone. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: I mean, they're both incredibly memorable and very different. And you know, you thinking specifically about the sound you want for the film yeah, rather exactly. than you wanted to
2: work with a certain person. Yeah, so like I've got a script I might be doing in a, a year or so because it's dependent on an actor's availability and it's dependent on where it's shot because we need snow and everything. And I've already started thinking it needs—it's an instinctive thing. It comes out of nowhere where I just thought it needs a kind of classic jazz-type score, which we haven't heard in a movie in a long time, you know. I think Miles Davis did a score for a film in the late '50s in France, Lift to the Scaffold. And then there's, you know, I would work with Don Chedeau. Yeah, Don of just had, in this film, yeah. yeah, Don just had Miles ahead. So I thought I haven't seen it a lot and it kind of fits, in my mind, it fits with the plot, you know, and it might seem strange to other people. So I just work on these random, you know, things occur to me. I just mark it down so it's never plotted. So again, that would be a different composer again to people I've worked with in the past.
0: help you write the characters because you talk about your writing and you're quite a fast writer you've admitted yourself do you surround yourself by music when you're writing does music in any way help shape the characters or
2: no I find that when I'm writing I need silence same when I'm reading a book I need silence. Mm-hmm. so that's why I said I only listen to music when I'm drunk because I can't <laughs> write and I can't read a book so I'll put music on in a weird way sometimes a great song will give me an idea for a line of dialogue or a character so I just quickly note that down on War on Everyone I was playing a lot of David Axelrod Songs of Experience is one of his albums which is that kind of 60s, early 70s kind of feeling and at one point I think I was thinking oh maybe we could use the you know, the whole album in some way to score the movie but once I got in with my editor Chris Gill, we were kind of pushing it and it never quite worked yeah but I'd still like to do maybe a similar idea where you take a body of work and you use it. You know, I'm sure Tarantino has done things like that in the past or other people have. But what it did was it gave me the whole 70s vibe feeling, so which then led on to Lorne
0: films that you remember watching going back to when you first got into film that the music played a big part for you and had a memorable?
2: Obviously there's people like Ennio Morricone I always remember that because me and my brother used to watch it and the telly was near my uh, mum and dad's bedroom and whenever Morricone's score would come up we'd have to run and turn this volume down a bit because it would wake them up <laughs> so we were constantly running back and forth. The big one for me is Mean Streets, Be My Baby, and, you know, Mickey's Monkey, when Robert De Niro dances to Mickey's Monkey. And that's obviously in a kind of, although it's a funny movie, it's a serious crime drama, and you're you're using songs that wouldn't, at that time, I guess, wouldn't naturally have been put in a movie, so that was very influential.
0: is important.
2: To be honest, I could watch, you know, a really austere art house movie that has no music in it at all, like a Michael Haneke. But I know that audiences generally speaking, most audiences like the use of music, you know, especially great songs and great scenes. But I'm always trying to fight against or we'll play this silent. I want the films to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. So my my taste. Shouldn't always come into it. Or, yeah. You know, I want to appeal to a, you know a multiplex audience. I'd say this film probably has the most music because I've kind of got over those early tendency to play scenes without anything in the yeah. background. You know, in in like the guard or stuff like that. Although the guard had a lot of good choices as well.
0: well the thing that you do with all your films as well is you kind of the it, it, you grab us immediately. Literally, as your bum hits the seat and this film starts, it's like yeah. We're
2: off. Yeah, it's like you know the guard is rock star. This is a good yeah. opening for, <laughs> yeah. for a movie, good opening lines yeah. in a song. So I do that all, all the time in each three film, just to get everything off to a really fast start, because I hate movies that take ages. I mean, audiences aren't interested in who the caterer was. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we have to sit there for five minutes to find out who they are.
0: Is it easy coming up with what music you use for that sucker punch start?
2: You know, I was saying that I I always have kind of the opening 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes. So generally speaking, I would I would have a good idea of the song I wanted. So at the start of War and Everyone, I knew it was going to be up, And at the start of The Guard, I knew it was going to be Rockstar, if I could afford to get it. Well, at one point, I was thinking of Fleet Foxes which was quite a melancholic opening, which probably wouldn't have worked, looking back on it. But they wouldn't have their film associated with drug-taking. And you remember at the beginning... Like of the Mormons or the, Yeah, exactly. I don't know, like, are they deeply religious? I'm not sure. But that was a thing. And you remember at the beginning of The Guard, he takes the drugs yeah. off the, the joyriders yeah. and takes a tablet or whatever. So I thought, all right, fair enough, I'll you know, get somebody else. And, of course, Pharrell Williams didn't have any problem. None <laughs> so he we was straight in. Yeah. The other thing I've remembered, in The Guard, there's a lot of uh, references throughout the film to death, whether they're literally, like, um, the boat that the drugs are coming in on is the Annabelle Lee, which is a Edgar Allan Poe poem about death. So we used songs like the Liam Clancy song, The Parting Glass, which plays in the bar when Brendan and Donna are talking, which is a song about death.
3: Oh, all the money that I spend I spend it in good company And all the harm that I ever did Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done For want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and you
2: be with you. Oh to Billy Joe. Yeah. About death It was
3: the third of June another sleepy dusty delta day. I was out chopping cotton and my brother was bailing hay. And at dinner time, we stopped and walked back to the house to eat. And Mama hollered at the back door, y'all remember to wipe your feet. And then she said, I got some news this morning from Choctaw Ridge. Today, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the
1: Tallahatchie Bridge.
2: And then, even leaving on a jet plane, which is kind of most people see uplifting song. But obviously, it's really John. Sad. It's, yeah, it's sad as well. John Denver, Denver died yeah. in a plane in crash, the plane, so yeah. it, there's that at the end.
3: All my packs are packed, I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up to say goodbye But the dawn is breaking, it's early morn The taxi's waiting, he's blown his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could die So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you wait for me hold me like you never let me go
2: That was a film where there were kind of hidden references to is he alive or is he dead.
1: I'm going down there and arrest those lads for the murders of James McCormick and aiden McBride and on the lesser chairs of smuggling cocaine. Yes, Wendy. Point I'd like to make yeah. is fucking suicide. I know.
2: Because me, me and Brennan have had arguments about is he alive or is he dead at the end of the guard. Still. I always had it in my mind, he'd no, he dies. But then when we got to the shootout sequence, which we did last, I was like, mm, I don't really want him to die, so he's alive. And then Brennan was the opposite. He always thought, no, he's alive. And then when he walks out on the pier, he said he got a really bad feeling as he was acting it. And he went, no, he's dead. So we flipped our positions. Wow. <laughs>
0: the music with all those references to death is that a conscious thing in you or is that it, it's, that was, was yeah, yeah
2: because of all the reference in, in that particular script i knew i was going to look for those types of songs mm. and sometimes you know you have a really upbeat song but it's got a really downbeat lyric it may be a song that seems on the face of it quite joyful but there's, you know there's a darkness underneath. yeah lyrics or a melody, man? I go back and forth. I guess the things that make me feel really good it's all the melodies. But then you know, I'm a big Nick Cave, that type of lyrical Tom Waits you know. Although Tom Waits has a lot of really upbeat songs but then the lyrics would always be quite strange and everything. So it it, go back and forth. I guess probably when I was young it would be the lyrics that would grab me first.
0: Have you heard Nick Cave's latest album? No, no. It's incredible, right?
2: And he's doing a lot of uh, scores now, well, not a lot, but he's working yeah. more in scores because he's done um, Hello, Hello, hell High Water. Yeah, he did David yeah, new film? Yeah, and Warren then, Ellis. And we
0: were talking about The Road earlier as well. Yes, comic book which he did as well. Yeah. Do you have a wish list of musicians, artists that you'd like to work with in a score capacity for your, your uh, films, you? Yeah, know?
2: Don't have a wish list. I guess Tom Waits might be <laughs> right. probably at the top of it. But then again, that would be a specific type of film, I guess, if you've got Tom doing it. I guess Ennio Morricone would be up there. Yeah, that would be number one.
0: Would you get him to work on a Western? Would you take him out of the Western? Because obviously he did his first Western score with Tarantino yeah, in like well, 40 years last year. Um,
2: well, I'm thinking about doing a, a Western with um, Michael Pena um, based on an Elmore Leonard book. That would be the approach place to do it I got a feeling for interviews I read Morricone is like you never tell him what to do he just gives you the score which might be interesting as long as you liked it
0: (laughs) and he doesn't speak much English no exactly it could be good
2: I mean, because we were talking at Calexico. Once I had that initial meeting, I barely spoke to them again. Yeah, they would just send through the stuff. Mostly it was, yeah, I love that. Every now and again it would be something "Mm, I don't like. I wouldn't even know what the instruments were. I'd have to say, I don't like that bell, whatever it is. (laughs) I wouldn't know what it was. And they'd go, do you mean this, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So they'd take it out or whatever. And then that was it. That was it. So I never met them again after the initial meeting. Wow. I've never seen them since. No way. (laughs) No, no, I'd love to go Maybe, maybe maybe they'll put me on a guest list when the next time they turn up in London. Oh, you've got to do it
1: live.
0: Do the whole album. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think I saw something where they played, I don't know, the shootout music, uh, which is Firestorm of Impossible Odds. I think they played that at gigs.
0: Was it a case of then you had that initial meeting and then you gave them the script? Did, yeah. did you send them cuts so they could see, or, or how much did you give them? Cause it they, sounds like you got very little. Yeah,
2: we would give them the cut of each scene where I wanted the music. Yeah. Um, and then they would do the music to the scene. And then we'd just obviously assemble it all with my editor. And then the more music you were getting, then certain. You know, the scenes where I've got no music, you'd think, oh, nice to have another bit of Calexico in there, Mm. you know. So then they'd do little bits and pieces. Um, But they would have the sort of, what would you call, the major movements.
0: I spoke to Todd Solins recently, and one of the experiences that he had on one of his films was working with Bell and Sebastian. And he said it was quite a hard experience because he was such a fan of the band, and you know, he sent them off to do their Bell and Sebastian ness on his, on his score, but they came back and it wasn't what he wanted. So to have that slightly uncomfortable conversation yeah. was really hard. They got there in the end but it wasn't easy.
2: Yeah, because you don't want to be in that situation where you go, oh god I'm going to have to, it's getting close to I'm supposed to be finishing the movie and I'll I'll just pull that song, you know yeah. you don't want to be in that position, yeah so it's difficult. So I think when you said about people that you'd want to work with, especially someone like Tom Waits, like would you want to ruin the legendary aspect yeah. of that with a kind of working relationship? I'm not sure if I would. Whereas any other is something slightly different. You know?
0: um, listen, it's an absolute pleasure chatting to you and that was congratulations great congratulations on on this film as well and and the music in this and then this one particularly particular it's so kind of vast and and i'm looking forward to the the next stage of jazz that we get from yes. you as well hopefully <laughs> uh john thanks very much for your time thanks a lot that was Thank great. you. great From the soundtrack to Night on Earth, that's On the Other Side of the World by Tom Waits, offering a little reminder to John Michael McDonough about the potential for some kind of collaboration with one of his musical idols in the years to come. Huge thanks to John for taking the time to talk to us. War on Everyone is available on home entertainment formats from the 30th of January. There's a full track list for the show via edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to this podcast and listen to all of our previous episodes if you can please follow us on facebook instagram and twitter we are at soundtracking uk and do rate us on itunes if you get a chance now i'm absolutely delighted to say that we'll be joined by danny boyle in the not too distant future to discuss Amongst his many other films Next up though is the wonderful Damien Chazelle Who follows up his unbelievably enthralling debut Whiplash With 21st century musical La La Land I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then